You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In this trip down from heaven to earth and then back up to heaven, Jesus is telling us here, I secured the keys of death and hell. And that's some of the reason why we need not fear. Jesus is saying in this, I destroyed him who had the power of death, the devil. I robbed death of its sting, the grave of its victory, and therefore fear not. What an incredible thing Jesus has done for us. He stepped into this world to show us God, but also to rescue us. His purpose in coming was to die on the cross for you and all humanity. He conquered death by rising from the grave as well. And one day he'll return to conquer evil forever. Pastor Mike will tell you in his message today that this means there's nothing for you to be afraid of. He is victorious, and you can place your life in His capable and all-powerful hands. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 1 as he continues his message, Son of Man. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's house. God is ever placing burning bushes and blaring trumpets for the eyes and ears of his children. And as I mentioned, sometimes it comes through a variety of different means. Sometimes it comes in the form of a phone call or an email or whatever. You fill in the blank. But the question remains, are we willing to turn from our casual, comfortable, safe existence to the extraordinary in which God is waiting to further reveal himself. So are we willing to see? Now that brings us to our third point, and that is the the vision that is actually recorded here for us. I want to break this down for you. It's pretty extensive as well as suggestive. Now notice the first thing under this heading, the vision. John sees here in verse 12, seven golden candlesticks, which is the Old Testament menorah. Now, the Old Testament menorah was one of the articles of furniture that was located in the temple, uh, particularly there in the holy place. And this is what we know about it, according to what is recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 24. The menorah was never allowed, that is, the fire that was contained within the menorah was never allowed to go out. And that menorah actually represented in the Old Testament 
under the Old Testament disposition, Israel being a light unto the world. Now, in the New Testament, under the New Testament dispensation, the menorah represents the church. Let me back that up and validate that for you. For example, Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 14, speaking about the church, he says, you are the light of the world. Another cross-reference from the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul tells us that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so we are that light. And so in the New Testament, that menorah represents the church. Now, this is important. Now, hold on to that truth. Something else that I want to mention that I think is significant, also important. You know, the menorah was only the bearer of the light, but was not the illuminator. And by the way, they had an entire number of priests, and that was their only responsibility to make sure that the bowls on top of the stems of the menorah were filled with oil so that the the light of the menorah would continue to burn perpetually, so that that light was never to go out. But I want you to think about the menorah. It's only the bearer and not the illuminator. And such is the case with the church. The church is just the bearer of the light, but Jesus is the illuminator. So I wanted to make that distinction for you. Now also notice there in verse 13, Jesus, the Son of Man, is dressed in the priestly garment. So let's go back to verse 13 for a moment. It says, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. And so he is actually draped and dressed in the priestly garments, which speaks of his present relationship to the church as our great high priest. For example, in the book of Hebrews, particularly in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is depicted for us as our great high priest. And the high priest, his office, his responsibility more than anything else, was to be an intercessor between the people and God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 7, in verse 25, we are told there, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost, referring to Jesus, those who come to God the Father through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so Jesus, our great high priest, our uh, intercessor. But then also notice, Jesus is presented to us in his glory. Notice there in the first part of verse 14, we are told his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Now, I can't help but think of uh, the same description that is recorded for us describing God in the book of Daniel in chapter 7 in verse 9, if you want to turn there. But in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9, we read Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. I watched, so Daniel here is actually receiving a revelation, if you would, a vision of God, 
And this is the vision. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days were sealed. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. So, again, Jesus here is depicted as the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9. But then also notice, and I think that this is important, he is standing in the midst of the menorah, which again, under the New Testament dispensation, represents the church. So he's engaged in the church, in the activities of the church. And then also notice in verse 14, the latter part, we are told his eyes were like as a flame of fire. So what does that suggest to us? Well, the idea here is that Jesus is scrutinizing all that goes on within the church. He's concerned about every detail, every last detail, everything that's going on within the church, the way that we react with one another, the things that we're teaching, that our doctrine is correct, and so on and so forth. That we're spending the appropriate time and we're encouraging the people that attend our church to spend an appropriate time in fellowship, in prayer, in Bible study, in giving of themselves, in all of these different occupations. So Jesus is standing in the midst of his church, and he's scrutinizing all that goes on within it. He's concerned about every last detail. But then also notice in verse 15, it then goes on to tell us that his feet were like fine brass. Now you need to know something about certain elements that are depicted for us in the scriptures. And brass happens to be one of those elements in the scripture that represents judgment. Metal, the brass metal, often represents judgment in the scriptures. For example, the brazen altar, where the various sacrifices were, were offered, the judgments uh, for the sins of the people uh, were offered there on the brazen altar. So think about this then. Jesus is standing in the midst of his church. He's scrutinizing everything that's going on. He's standing also in judgment, and he judges and purges his church. Not only is he concerned about judging and purging the church, but he will also come again to purge the world. But then also notice in verse 15, we are told, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. Now, the same expression is used a couple of different times in the book of Ezekiel. And if you'd like to turn there with me, you can. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 43, in verse 2, concerning God, it says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And so it speaks to us of the voice of God. And so all of these Old Testament symbols that we've just gone through, representing the glory and the majesty of God. Listen, the Son of Man, Jesus, in fact, is the God of the Old Testament. Now, also, let's go back to our text now. Notice there in verse 16, the first part of verse 16, then we are told, he had in his right hand seven stars. 
Now this is interesting. The word stars can literally be translated from the Greek manuscripts, messengers, or angels. So it could actually refer to angels. So these stars may suggest angels, or some Bible teachers have suggested that it could be a reference to the elders within the church. So either or, angels or elders. We're not quite sure. But let me share with you some of the things that have helped me to come to my own personal uh, conclusions. First of all, letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Notice in verse 20. Jump ahead to verse 20 here in chapter 1. And we are told that certain angels are assigned to assist and help in the church's activities and affairs. And I like that. I think that's very cool. I mean, particularly, you know, considering all of the things that are going on right now, I'm so thankful that there are angels here with us, and they're taking care of us and taking care of all of the affairs of the church, assisting us. And we're so very, very thankful for that. And so verse 20 does, in fact, suggest that. Or maybe this refers to, as I've already mentioned, is a reference to the overseers of the particular churches, recognizing the ministry of the overseers and its importance. I mean, the scripture, in fact, does teach clearly that God holds the elders responsible for the spiritual condition of the people. Although this kind of responsibility couldn't be placed upon an angel, so therein lies the problem, and whether we can, you know, definitively come to the conclusion, it's a reference to angels or to the elders, but I would like to think that this refers to both. But also I want you to notice that he has these angels in his hands. So if it's the elders, and I guess I would fall into that category, I'm so thankful that I am in the hands of Jesus. Praise God for that. I wouldn't be able to do anything otherwise. But then also notice there in verse 16, he goes on to declare, not only in his right hand were the seven stars, but out of his mouth went the sharp two-edged sword. Now we know that this is a common expression used in the scriptures to describe the word of God. For example, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, uh, in verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I love that about the word of God. It just pierces. It gets right to the heart of the matter. It divides what is true from what is false, and what is false from what is true. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, there's no other thing like it. That's why we place a very high premium upon the study of the Word of God and knowing the Word of God. But anyway, the idea here is that God judges by His Word. He counsels by his word. He corrects by his word. He comforts by his word. And I hope that something that I say this morning through this Bible study, I hope that you find some comfort in it and some encouragement and some strength. 
Now that brings us to our fourth point, and that is no need to fear. So if you're taking notes, write that down. This is our fourth point, no need to fear. Now this whole scene is so overwhelming. Could you imagine? I mean, think about it. John the Beloved is by himself on the Lord's Day. He's caught up in the Spirit. He's worshiping the way that we're worshiping. Wherever you are listening into this broadcast, right? You're all alone. And all of a sudden from behind, there's this blaring noise likened unto a trumpet. And you turn in its direction. And then you receive this revelation. What a scene. It's so overwhelming. Could you imagine? It's so powerful. And notice how John responds. It's recorded first in verse 17. And when I saw him, that is this revelation of Jesus depicted as the way that we've just gone through here, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, and this is where we get the title of our fourth point, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I mean, who can behold Jesus, thinking about this, and what I've just said, the way that he's depicted, standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, scrutinizing everything that's going on, standing as our high priest, standing as the judge. I mean, who can behold Jesus judging the church, judging us in our relationship with him, whether it's correct or not, without feeling our own responsibility and failure? and the responsibility and failure of the church, not measuring up to God's standards. And yet when we fall before him, it's not to listen to words of doom, but rather encouragement, with all the gentleness that characterizes the bridegroom's action with his bride. Remember, there's no condemnation in Christ for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And he lays his hand upon us, even as he did with John. And he says, fear not. Why not? Because again, notice in verses 17 and 18. In verse 18, it says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. You see, because I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. This is why I need not fear. You see, because Jesus became a man. He died. He rose from the dead, was delivered because of our offenses, and he was raised for our justification. In this trip down from heaven to earth, and then back up to heaven, Jesus is telling us here, I secured the keys of death and hell. And that's some of the reason why we need not fear. Jesus is saying in this, I destroyed him who had the power of death, the devil. I robbed death of its sting, the grave of its victory, and therefore fear not. Listen, the heart of every believer can rest. Christ's work dispels all fear of judgment. Now that brings us to our fifth and our final point, and that is the three divisions of the entire book. And this serves, what is recorded for us there in verse 19, actually serves as an outline of this entire book of Revelation. So this is very important. I would encourage you to write this down. So again, 
the fifth point, three divisions of the entire book. So let me break it down for you. First of all, let's read verse 19. Write the things which you have seen. That's the first thing that I want to draw your attention to. Secondly, the things which are, I'll explain all of this to you in just a moment, and then the things which will take place after this. Okay, so let me break this down for you. First of all, the things that you saw, what's that a reference to? Well, the vision of Jesus risen in glory, which is depicted for us in chapter 1. Okay, so we've already closed that out. So just consider that that's the first division of the book of Revelation. Secondly, going forward, notice he goes on to declare in verse 19, the things which are, that is the things which are present, referring to the church age, and is discovered in the letters written to the seven churches, which is recorded for us in chapters 2 and 3, which then becomes the second division of the book of Revelation. So the first division, chapter 1. The second division, chapters 2 and 3, which include the seven letters to the seven churches. We'll take a look at the first letter that was written to the first church in its order, the church at Ephesus. And then thirdly, or the third category, or the uh, last division of the book of Revelation, notice the things hereafter, verse 19. That is, the events that occur after the church age, immediately following the rapture of the church, which begins in chapter 4 and then continues right up and through the final chapter of the book of Revelation, chapter 22. So there you have it. Those are the three divisions of the entire book of the book of Revelation. So it's just good to know to break this down. Now, I want to bring you back to verse 13. The Son of Man, notice, standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And as I mentioned before, intensely concerned about everything that's going on in the church. But remember, you're the church. The people that attend the church are literally the church. And so Jesus is standing in the midst, and he's present with us. And he's extremely and intensely concerned about the things that are going on in your life and in my life. So here's the question. How do you fare under his scrutiny and his watchful eye? Would you draw from him a rebuke or a commendation? Well, I hope you would say a commendation. There's an urgency in getting right with the Lord today, particularly when you consider all of the things that are going on in the world. And so may God help us to put all things right and in their proper place with Him. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension. Yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world, a time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for